0: invite you today to turn to the Gospel of Luke, and I ask you to stand for the honor of the reading of God's Word. This will be Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Here now is the Word of the Lord. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. He said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thank you. Please be seated. This morning we continue this sermon series on the parables of Jesus. These are pretty well-known passages, and their meaning is often clear. The problem is that we don't always want to have to face their meaning in our own personal lives. This is one of those passages. And so I'm asking us to open our hearts and our minds over the next 22 minutes or so. And you say, how do I know 22 minutes? Because I time my messages carefully. <laughs> so to give us some context here, as we're talking on the parables of Jesus, look at the adjacent verses for a moment. This passage comes immediately before a very familiar set of verses in which Jesus speaks about the blessing of children, as well as the tendency for people to idolize their money. In verse 15 to 17 is the passage where it says, One day parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child... We'll never enter into it. And by the way, this is one of the passages in which the original language, at least, makes a reasonable argument for the value of at least dedicating one's children. It's not a requirement, but dedicating your children is a legitimate action. But then beginning in verse 18, the passage talks about a wealthy young man. He asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Knowing that this young man loved his money in his status more than anything else, Jesus tells him, sell all your goods and give the money to the poor. When the man is saddened by that, Jesus says the famous words of verse 25. He says, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, as is often the case, that young man had fallen into idolatry of his money. Jesus wasn't teaching that money was bad. Indeed, it can be a tremendous blessing but it must not be an idol in our lives, and that was what Jesus was trying to tell him. But whether it be the Pharisee in today's parable, or the rich young man struggling with his idolatry of money, or the women bringing their children to Jesus to ask for him to bless them, the challenge for most of us is that across the spectrum of viewpoint, sometimes we make wrong decisions, we make wrong choices, and very often the reason we do so is because of a heavy element of pride of pridefulness there was way too much of it in the world back then quite honestly it's not any better today so to help recognize this tendency when we see it in others or when we see it in ourselves let's look carefully at this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector now it begins in verse Luke or verse Luke in Luke 19 verse 9 and i'm going to read from the classic translation here where it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And the last three words here are a key factor. The descriptor of this Pharisee, anytime I read this, it it makes me chuckle, and you wonder why. Well, because I know people that are almost like this. You may know people that are almost like this. And it's unfortunate because it's very unchristlike, but this is the descriptor of what some Christians have become like today. And it was very much a descriptor of those Pharisees back in Jesus' day. And yet, I do think there's some truth to the statement that says we can only see this in others because we have elements of it in ourselves. I have to face that reality at times. I too can have one foot in the Pharisee camp. It's damaging to the body of Christ because when we have that attitude, we bring discouragement to fellow believers. We even bear false witness against some individuals. We question their salvation. They don't answer to us. They answer to God. You might wonder, how did we become like this? Well, Satan is a master of being very effective at getting under our skin. Think of it this way. If he doesn't prevent us from coming to a saving faith, he's going to try to prevent us from being an effective example and witness for our faith. but People become hurt by life's difficulties. Sometimes we become angry Christians. We tend to lash out at people that think very differently from us. And yet, if they're saved believers, we need to pray for them, that the Holy Spirit will show them their error. And if they're not yet saved, we need to pray for them, that they will come to faith and realize their error. But how do we become this way? Well, I think that's what Jesus is seeking to address with this parable. So he starts out with the passage where he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and then here in the old translation, the other a publican. Now that's an old English term for tax collector. We know who and what the Pharisees were by the time of Jesus. They were individuals that thought of themselves as holy men, but they had kind of self-appointed themselves to this role they were in. A few generations earlier, they probably weren't this way, but combination of pride and arrogance basically pointed their hearts and their minds. They thought they were smarter and wiser than everybody else. In fact, they thought they were smarter and wiser than Jesus. So that's what Jesus faces when he runs across the Pharisees of his day. But who were these publicans, as the old translations call them? Well, yes, I know they were tax collectors, but... There's a philosophical question to ask, and that's if somebody worked as a publican back then for several years, and they stopped doing that job, and then they went back to that job, does that mean that they were a Republican? <laughs> I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. But there's an actual Greek word right there, telonais, Literally, when you translate it, it means one who farms the taxes. They were often fellow Jews. And they worked for the Roman government. And these tax collectors would often add fees to pad their salaries. And they were paid decent salaries. So they were pretty despised by the Pharisees. Now we get into Luke 19, verse 10 to 12, and it describes the Pharisee. It says, he stood and prayed with himself. And he says the following, God, I thank thee, I am not as these other men are. And then he describes them, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this publican. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all I possess. Now, there's a lot of good things in here. It's good he doesn't extort money from others. It's good that he seeks justice. It's good that he's faithful to his wife. It's good that he gives a tenth of his income. These are good things, but do you notice the focus of his prayers. They're not focused on God. They're focused on him. And the repeated use of the personal pronoun I should literally hit us over the head when we read the passage. He uses the personal pronoun I five different times in just two short sentences. You see, no sense of humility, no sense of confession, just an emphasis, while praying out loud, I might add, an emphasis on how much better he is than others, including, in particular, this despised tax collector. And by the way, he prays out loud, presumably... Not for others, not for God to hear him, but for others to hear him. As I described the Pharisee, you might be able to tell that I've run across some modern-day Pharisees in my time. I know the mindset well. Now compare that to the tax collector. He prays in verse 13. He stood at a distance and dared not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he, old translation says, beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Notice this man, by the way, stands off to the side, not drawing attention to himself and praying quietly. He's so convicted of his sin, he can't even bring himself to look upward. But he tearfully clutches his own chest and asks God for mercy. Why, you wonder? Because he admits, and he's deeply convicted of the reality, that he is a sinner who is in need of forgiveness. Now look at the contrast between those two. The Pharisee prays out loud to thank God how much better he is than everyone else, including this despised tax collector who has come to pray. The Pharisee is boastful. The tax collector is contrite. The Pharisee is focused on his merit. The tax collector is asking for mercy because he admits he has no merit, at least as compared to God. The Pharisee lacks repentance. The tax collector expresses it openly and deeply. What Jesus is really saying is the Pharisee, this supposed man of God, is unsaved. The tax collector just became a redeemed believer. That's quite a contrast, wouldn't you say? And I think Jesus is pretty clear in his intended meaning of the parable, verse 14, where he says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And then the last sentence is very possibly the key. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I'm using the old English wording here because exalt, the Greek word hypsou, means to lift up or elevate in condition. To exalt oneself is a self-centered lifting up of oneself. It's not focused on God. But the other word, classic translation used the word abased. Today, we would probably use the word Humbled. But the Greek word tapenou means to be brought low, to depress any sense of self-pride. Again, quite a contrast. If, if we were to paraphrase verse 14, it would say something like this. Those who think they can be righteous of their own effort are going to one day face a great humbling. And those who humble themselves will one day know the joy of being lifted up by Christ himself. Now in the past... I have had modern-day Pharisees treat me as if I were the publican. I think they had a disdain for any public sector service, like my 30 years in K-12 ed. They kind of despised and looked down on anybody who didn't have the same views that they did. Their feeling was, never mind being salt and light in the community, just do what they tell you to do. That's what they had become. The sad thing is, is that they professed to be believers of Jesus Christ. Well, only God knows their hearts, and we have to remember that. But they had become part-time modern-day Pharisees who had serious problems with sins of arrogance and pride. And in many ways, they were not that far from the man who prays this obnoxious prayer in this passage that Jesus described. So when you... Well, hello there. When you run across... People like this, choose to pray for them. You may not want to, but it's the right thing to do. Jesus himself said so. And while you're at it, pray for each other, because this mindset can exist in any of us if we are not careful to avoid it. So, as we begin to close this somewhat shorter message this morning, this parable is filled with spiritual truths. Indeed, you could make the case it contains a vital aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 tells us Jesus spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. This is an issue Jesus often spoke of, emphasizing it to his listeners to realize their complete inability to be righteous enough on their own to attain the kingdom of heaven. It was essential that people know this if they were to understand Jesus' mission on earth. His mission was to save sinners by having them realize they could not save themselves. Publican and non-publican alike, God has a heart for sinners who come to him in repentance and humble brokenness. But the Pharisee, by going to the temple to pray with the condition of his heart as it was, Frankly, he might as well have stayed home because that kind of prayer is not going to be heard by God because the person is praying with the wrong spirit. Unlike the Pharisee who boldly stands in the temple reciting his prayer of self-congratulations, this tax collector stands at a distance, perhaps in an outer room, apart from the Pharisee who would have even been offended to be in the same room with him. The tax collector's demeanor spoke of his unworthiness before God. He's unable to even lift up his eyes to heaven. The burden of guilt and shame that he had been carrying weighs heavily on him. The load probably was unbearable. Overcome by his past sins, he laments in sorrow and repentance and appeals to God for mercy and forgiveness. And his prayer, the tax collector, is the very one that God is waiting to hear. And the tax collector's attitude is exactly what the Holy Spirit calls us to have. We come to faith by first recognizing just how lost we really are without Christ. By the way, in the Sermon on the Mount series from last spring, that's exactly what was spoken of in Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This tax collector realizes his sinful condition, and he seeks the only thing that can bridge the gap between himself and God. He cries out, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we know from the end of the parable, God hears his prayer for mercy, and he answers it. Friends, please hear me about something. The Pharisee in this parable reminds us no amount of good works, church attendance, tithes, community service, loving our neighbor, or anything else we do is by itself fully sufficient to take away the stain of sin and enable us to stand before a holy God on our own merit, but it also should remind us that is why God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. His death is the only work that is able to cleanse us and make us acceptable to God because we have been the recipients of God's mercy. So as I often say, there is just one more thing. We should not make the mistake of comparing ourselves with other Christians, like the Pharisee did. Very often, we either gain a false confidence from what we see in comparison, or we feel worthless by comparing ourselves to people who we see as being better than us. Jesus warns against this in the beginning of the parable. When we try to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others, We either have a tendency to look down on them or we get the wrong perception that we could never be forgiven for our past. Our only standard for comparison is Jesus himself. We all fall short of that. And so the point for us today is never think that somehow you're still not acceptable to God because Jesus' fully atoning death, burial, and resurrection has made it possible for you to be declared innocent in God's eyes. You stand as perfect and complete if, if you believe in your heart and confess with your words you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. He is the prophesied Messiah who the Jews were looking for but didn't recognize him when they saw him. And yes, pray for the modern day Pharisees in your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would bring a sense of brokenness and whatever it takes to humble them. To bring them to a more appropriate Christ like demeanor and a sense of love for their brethren. They think they already know Jesus, but the risk is that in reality they may just know a lot about him, but may not know him as their Savior. And while you're at it, don't forget to pray for the part time Pharisee in the mirror. That we'll recognize this when we see it in ourselves and we'll seek forgiveness from those we've hurt and those we've discouraged in their daily walk of faith. It's a risk that all of us have. It's a risk that ministers have. It's a risk that deacons and elders have. It's a risk that every one of us has. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, based on the teaching of scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, through Christ alone.